The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Tilray getting smoked after hours. A high-flying pot stock announcing a convertible note offering to raise capital. We'll tell you what it means for the cannabis craze. Plus, General Electric shareholders in the dark as a company grapples with saving the dividend while executing a real turnaround. Former GE executive Bob Nardelli is speaking out for the first time since the C-suite shakeup. You won't believe what he has to say about the former Dow darling. But first, we start off with the market showdown of the decade. It's a chicken fight. Yep. Chicken fight rates and stocks flying high together. The Dow closing at a new high as the 10-year yield soars to a seven-year high, but just as the 10-year hit the highs of the day, stocks began to fall, closing near the lows of the session. So does something have to give? And if they do continue to rise together, what do you buy right now? Guy, you're so good at the chicken. You're actually particularly good at it, obviously. I know. I'm just practice. The years of practice. It's his go-to dance. I, I, I Nicely done. When, when I got married, one of, the, one of the things I said, no one this electric slide and none of this chicken dance stuff. I said, you play that stuff. You're, you're obviously out. practicing on the side. <laughs> yeah. But when I go to so other weddings, and I just, I'm, I'm at the first thing I say, I put my hand up and I do the chicken dance. <laughs> okay. What was the question? Does something have to give? Yes. Stocks and yeah. rates. Something and they rise together. It's funny. So six months ago, the concern was, you know, ten-year yields were going to go above three percent. That was going to derail the market. And now we're not even talking about 10-year yields, north of 3.1%. Something has to give at a certain point, but I don't think it has to happen tomorrow or in the next couple of weeks. I think the market can continue to grind higher. What do you buy in this environment? Kudos to Tim, but levered energy plays still work. Phillips 66, PSX, fair valuation, Apache, APA. Refiners have worked for a long time, and I still think healthcare is under everybody's radar. Valuations are reasonable. I think you can stay there as well. What do you think, Karen? Well, I think I agree. Something's got to give, but I think it's a little sooner than Guy thinks of it, starting with earnings, right? So we have these new elevated levels of, of equities. They have to have better earnings. I mean, I think that the bar's medium high already. So mm -hmm. that makes me a little bit nervous. We started looking at the VIX to see, all right, is it time to maybe buy some additional protection? Probably. But all that having been said, I didn't sell anything today. You know, when the earnings calls come around, they're looking out to 2019. You think a CEO is going to go out there with the unknown of the tariffs, with the unknown of rising rates, with the unknown of, of oil prices and where they are right now, which is high compared to last year. They're going to go out and say, we know we're going to earn this for 2019. Or are they going to sort of try and give themselves a, a well, little leeway? I think, first of all, we know which company management are conservative and which ones mm -hmm. are not. And I think you, you think of those those comments in the context of that. I, when you think about the uncertainty around trade, we're already getting those comments. We're seeing it in the Fed regional surveys. We're getting it from companies on their calls. Uh, the dollar, by the way, has quietly moved 2% in the last uh, four or five days as well, so or at least off those recent lows. So, yeah, I, I think higher rates actually mean a lot. And, and even if this is just the, the mechanical element of doing a, a valuation on a company, the discount rate, I mean, if we're, at, you know, if we're at three and a quarter, that's very different than where we are at two and, two and 75. I don't think it means a lot. I would just say as much Rising rate environment, spread uh, uh, multiple compression for the S and P is is what you get. It's it's not going to expand in this environment. 
Sorry. So the earnings need to expand then. Yeah, they do. Right. And, and we're seeing that. Though. So a lot, yeah, a lot is riding right, right, on this seeing, earnings season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and fortunately for all of us, we get to go past the trade talk and go back to the whole earnings and fundamentals of what's really going on in these companies. But, you know, you talk about energy. How about the fact that we talked about oil? If it can grind somewhere between 73, 75, there's a lot of promise there for a lot of different stocks that have lagged. I put Exxon in there. Well, you go back a month ago, Exxon's trading 78, now it's 86. And you go back and look at Chevron, that's up as well. So the, I, think, I think you can still be in these big names that have great balance sheets, that are actually giving you incredible dividend yield, and they have all sorts of exposure here in the U.S. as well as internationally. But you look at the Permian, you look at some of these areas where we know that there's going to be great finds that are already there, now we just got to pull it out. I think the energy spot is really interesting. Guy brings up the pharmaceuticals. They're still cheap. They've made this great run. They're still cheap. You go back to May when this really started and kicked off, Pfizer, Merck, and some of these names moving to the upside. But if you also go back even like a year and a half, two years, this has been a move that's been slow and steady to the upside. And I said it before, I'll say it again. It's why I still own the financials. It's why I own J.P. Morgan and City and Bank of America. I think they had that big run a year ago. They've been pausing ever since. But you look at the fundamental story, and if we get through earnings season, sooner or later, when you see the rates up here at 320-ish, you know, get yeah. somewhere near that level. Yeah, Yeah, when at. you start seeing that, I think we're going to finally see an acceleration out of the financials at some point. But I'm willing to wait. I've been patient, and I'm going to continue to be patient. The banks, certain banks concern me. Like, I think Goldman Sachs now concern And I was at Goldman Bull for a long time, a believer yeah. for a long time. They seem to have changed course with new management. They have to prove themselves now. Morgan Stanley's just basically at a 52-week low, so there's clearly something going on there. The bigger banks, I think, do make sense. The City true that, banks. The, the true banks, banks yeah. make sense. I think City at one-time book, or close to one-time book, probably does make sense. Maybe they have more exposure in Europe, and that's the reason why they're not getting rewarded. But the one of the most baited to me at this level is Citibank. It seems like there are so many things. I mean... Italy has a bad headline, and the banks here trade lower. The spreads compress here, and the banks trade lower. It seems like there's no benefit of the doubt given to the banks when it comes to their fundamentals here. At the moment, right? But yeah. we've seen periods where they're out of favor and where they're in favor. And I don't know. I would not want to try to time that. I like the valuation here. I'm, I'm okay. I'm with Pete, who I think of as a much more of a trader-oriented portfolio manager, but. I waited out here. I, I, I'm okay with it. I think they're going to. You know, I went back and I looked numbers. at some of these pharmaceuticals and Pfizer, for instance. I bought that back about four and a half years ago. So I was patient enough to wait on there. I'm still waiting in there. I still think there's plenty of upside. You owned a stock for four and a half yeah, years. Yeah, well, I've owned Apple since you know way back when. I mean, literally. So I there mean, are certain wow. names, and I'm, I'm building more and more. Well, I'm getting older, and as I get older, you're starting to see. If you look at my disclosures right now, you actually see more stocks than you do options right now, which is highly unusual. And I think a lot of that is opportunity. And who do I think? When I look at the fundamental story of most of the most everything and why I own them as stocks, the fundamentals are there. It's not just about growth, but it's the fundamental side of it where I think they're inexpensive with growth. And that combination is something that I usually will own the stock under those circumstances. I want to trade. I'm going to definitely go back to the options. And I still have a lot of option positions. So, see that question that's running under Pete's head? Rates are higher, what do you buy? Or now it's under my head. Um, it's, there you it's go. Really, funny it's, how that works. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> they switch the shot. It goes over to the other person. So, you look, it's underneath all of us now. Right. That's why I brought it up now. Good stuff. So, bottom line, rates are higher. What do you, the, the only thing that's obvious to me is that you buy assets. You buy assets. We have an asset reflation thing. Look at commodities. Look at, look at some of the ag trade that have been lagging. Look at a, a mosaic, which has now been long. I've been waiting for this thing to break out. They're now at the top of ranges, and they're actually breaking above multi-year range 
ranges. Look, this is all about asset prices and asset inflation. And at some level, it's very, very good. We've talked about why it's negative for the consumer. Those are the trades right now. Energy, as Pia said, it's totally lagged. OSX relative to the S&P down 10% in the last month. Yeah. Can I just add one thing yes. really important? That number out this morning was so strong, right? That's obviously what set mm -hmm. off the rate, right. the rate move. That was so strong, though. That does bode very, very well for earnings when you look at the components right. of that number. Okay. So that hopefully will see a good earnings season. Well, as, record, as stocks at a record highs, one of the hottest sectors this year has been healthcare. But the chart master says there could be trouble looming in this group. Carter Worth is over at the Plasma to break it down. Hey, Carter. Hi there. Yeah, so for a low beta area of the market, it's a little bit too far too fast, at least from my seat. And so I thought we'd examine that uh, judgment. First of all, in terms of performance, just what you said, it's been hot. What I've got here, of course, is comparing healthcare, And in each slide, it's going to be the top three sectors over the period above. So for the past two months, you can see healthcare versus media versus industrials and the market. So you've got almost a double versus the market. And again, remember, a lower beta area of the market, so it's even that more impressive. Three-month performance, healthcare 14, industrials 12, tech 10. Again, S&P 8. Let's go a little further. Here's five months. Healthcare. More than tech, uh, more than consumer, of course, the Amazon Home Depot. So at this point, being up that much, 700 base points over the S&P, um, what has happened in the past when this has happened? So I want to look at the statistics. Here's the comparative chart first. Look at how the spread is starting to widen. There was an opportunity in May and June. A lot of the opportunity has been exploited. And in fact, you're seeing that here. At this point, I'm going to take the contrarian view and make the bet that this is a little too hot and it's right to fade it. Now, talk about statistics. There have only been five instances, consider that, since 1989 when GICS data begins, where this sector is up six consecutive months in a row, check, and up 15% or more in that period, five times. This is the fifth. The probability of that is that it's basically zero. Now, what has happened after that one week later, three weeks later, six weeks later. Is it a crash? No. Does it mean healthcare is a disaster? No. But there is something that's too far too fast. It's a little steep. It's a little uncorrected. I want to fade this. I want to write calls. I want to do something and not just hang around. Now, another way to look at that concept is where you are in relation to trend. This is the sector. It's got big names like Amgen, J&J, &J, as you know. And here it is in relation to its 150-day moving average. How far above the line is it? Final chart. This two-panel chart tells us where we are now. Every time that we have gotten basically 10% above the 150 million average, this has hooked down. The stats argue for it. The sheer angle of the chart, last one, this is just unnatural. This is almost as though it's on autopilot. I want to make the bet that this is going to fade and back to the highs of January, a normal check back. Take profits, write calls, do something. That's the judgment. Come on over, Carter. Come on, Come on over, Carter. What is the change that you just say unilateral decision? It's not a unilateral decision. It has always been a unilateral decision. I could say no, I don't want to. Oh! All right, I have a question for you. <laughs> healthcare is a broad sector. Are there subsectors that defy the broader healthcare chart? Right. So, well, there are two circumstances within the sector. There's laggards that have started to come back to life. Some of the bombed out uh, biotech names have come off the bottom, like Allergan and Gilead. And then there are the bulletproof names that you know. It's 
United Healthcare, it's ISRG. Things are just these steady uptrends which have been impervious. But the net of it all is that it's the relative to the market for a sector that's lower beta than the market, and the stats are that, that it's just gotten a little too popular. Are there other sectors that you see when, in relationship to the S&P 500, you see divergences where they should either go up to meet the S&P performance or go down and check back like healthcare? Right. So if you think about the, the, the big the big decision that everyone has to make is, is, is the sort of tech and or idiosyncratic growth trade over. And what we know is the tech sector's relative performance to S&P peaked on the 25th of June. Hmm. And it is still now here October 4th below where it was, meaning the sector itself is ascending, but it, there's no alpha there, right? Because we're getting slippage in some of the key names, semiconductors in particular, but across the board. Even, even Apple's relative performance has stalled a little bit. So from my point of view, what we've had is a lot of exploitation potential. The laggards that were lagging, like healthcare, have been played. We know that utilities were played for a while. We know that REITs were played. Even stables came up. So there isn't much in the way of lagging areas of the market. And for the market really to go higher, you need what you, what you were talking about. You need financials to really come to life. Well, that's going to be sort of my question. Is there anything in the S&P 500 over the last couple of weeks that indicates that we start starting to maybe roll over or putting in a potential short-term top? Well, so in terms of the reference point, we know we had that spike, right, that Friday, January 26th. The S&P is actually at that level. The S&P itself is above that. The S&P equal weight is below where it was on January 26th. The mid-cap index is below where it was on Jan 26th. The, the, the transports are below, meaning it's the clustering into a few names that have made the optics, the headlines, new highs. The aggregate is not at new highs. The aggregate stock, the median stock, is nowhere near where it was in January 26th. It sounds like you're saying the, the risk is to the downside on the broader markets. I think a lot's priced in. And I think then there's yeah. this. The, the way the consumer names are acting, which have been so good, those were played too, right? Losers like Chipotle off the bottom, Macy's, all those are showing a little bit of wear and tear. As we basically contend with that January spike high, it, it doesn't feel like it's the setup for something huge to the upside. All right. Carter, thank you. Carter Worth Thanks. of Cornerstone Macro. Pete. What do you make of what Well, I, I look at healthcare, and that was specifically what we were looking at a lot of what Carter was talking about. I see this thing, and I tell you what, uh, I see the charts. I understand they've actually risen like they have, but the fundamental story is there. When I look at multiples there and I look at growth there, I think it's so still it's a the heck place with to Carter be. Carter and his Well, charts. no, no, it's just, you know what? We all put together our pieces of, what, of the puzzle, right? For me, charts is towards the, the far right for me. It's one of the last things I look at. Mm. But it's still important. I want to look at it. But I look at the fundamentals right now. The fundamentals are there. All right. Coming up, check out shares of Tilray. They are getting crushed after hours. The stock announcing a new plan to raise capital. We will bring you the details. Plus, former General Electric executive Bob Nardelli is here, and he's got a roadmap to save flailing GE. He will tell us what that is. And later, moments ago, a top financial advisor on Wall Street is embracing Bitcoin, jumping on the crypto bandwagon to join the advisory board at Bitwise. He will be here to explain why. We are live from New York City in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Tilray. It is getting smoked in the after-hour session. Uh, Aditi uh, Roy's got the details from San Francisco. Hi, Aditi. (laughs) Hi there, Melissa. That is right. Tilray shares are down about 6% after hours. This after the company announced a $400 million private offering of convertible senior notes. The notes or debt that can be converted to stock due 2023 will be sold to qualified institutional investors under U.S. securities laws and accredited Canadian investors. The company will also give the initial buyers the option to purchase up to an additional $60 million of the notes. Tilray saying the notes will be convertible into cash, shares of the company's Class 2 common stock, or a combination of cash and shares of Tilray's Class 2 common stock at Tilray's election. The company saying it plans on using the money for working capital, future acquisitions, general corporate expenses, and to repay a mortgage. Just last month, Tilray's CEO talked to Jim Crane about raising capital, especially since the company has less cash than rival Canopy Growth. You've got far less cash than Canopy. They've got $5 billion. Isn't this the time to strike and raise capital? Which, by the way, there would be nothing wrong if you said, yes, we obviously need more capital. We, we obviously need more capital, as, as, <laughs> yes, at, which we said in our perspectives. The perspectives, the intent is to, to build a, a global company. Uh, we're in 12 countries today on five mm-hmm. continents. Uh, it's very clear that we'll add additional countries in the coming years, and so that requires us to increase our capacity substantially as we uh, introduce products such as these and medical products around the world. Price, volume, and terms have not been announced at this time. It's been a volatile time for Tilray's shares, which plunged as much as 20% yesterday after PepsiCo told investors it has no plans to invest in pot. The stock rebounded, though, in today's regular session. Melissa, back to you. All right, Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Now our Tim Seymour is all in on this space. He's He's long a number of names, also sits on an advisory board, actually for three cannabis stocks, so different advisory boards there. Uh, For all of Tim's disclosure, you can go to fast.cnbc.com. But uh, I will turn to you on this. Seems like a prudent thing to do. Well, I think everyone was expecting these guys to do this. Look, they, they are going out to make acquisitions and to grow. They're, they're in 13 countries. That's, that's the business model. What we're seeing across the board, first of all, I've seen so many deals over the last two weeks. There's been a number of U.S. companies. The trade right now really has been for the U.S. guys to go to Canada, and the Canada guys are coming for the U.S. And, and that means that the Canadian capital markets machine is actually using uh, their opportunity to raise money legally in Canada to get U.S. companies to market. A lot of the Canadian guys with big balance sheets by the way, Tilray wants to have a bigger balance sheet to go consolidate, especially in the U.S. The U.S. trade right now is red hot. You've had a number of IPOs in the last couple of weeks. True Leaf, which is a pure play on Florida, is a company that's done phenomenally well. They're making money. They're cash flow positive, And people are going after those U.S. companies that have been in business for a long time making money. It's interesting. You know, they just came public not that long ago, right? right? Just July. the beginning of the summer. The five-year note, which is what they're looking to do, five-year paper now, was 270. You have to wonder if maybe today's move, the five-year is now at 305 or something like that, with the extraordinary stock price performance. I mean, good for them for doing this. They really should. It certainly makes me think Tesla or anyone who's considering any kind of convert, rates are really starting to move. you got to act now. Act now. Yeah. 
All right. General Motors showing signs of life today after teaming up with Honda to invest in autonomous vehicles. Karen Feinerman will explain why now could be your best chance to buy the stock. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I don't think the worst is over. That's what former GE executive Bob Nardelli said after the blue chip was booted from the Dow. So what does he think now? Find out. Plus, Pete Najarian is stepping up to the plate with an industrial-sized pitch. He'll explain why this stock setting out the rally today is headed for a breakout. There's much more Fast Money after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. It has been a rough year for GE as the stock has tumbled about 50%, and now the company's dividend is in question. So is the worst over, or is there more downside ahead? Or Dom choosing the newsroom with more on that. Hey, Dom. Well, well, picking a bottom in general electric stock has been a fool's errand for some time now, Melissa. Chart watchers are already putting different levels on that stock that really need to be checked off before a true bottom can even try to be called after getting kicked out of the Dow and, of course, two CEO departures. And the experts looking at the fundamentals from the Wall Street sell side analysts all the way to the credit ratings agencies all have their conditions as well. The latest salvos came from ratings agency S&P, which downgraded the company to to a triple B plus rating from a prior single A rating, which means that it's now just three notches above that dreaded non-investment grade or junk status. In looking at the downgrade from S&P, they're looking at a number of key business units at GE, specifically commenting that the aviation and the healthcare units have a substantial competitive advantage. Even if they say GE were to spin off that healthcare biz, hypothetically, the outlook for the overall GE company would still be stable in their opinion. It even said that the embattled power systems unit is still solid despite the near-term challenges it faces. The bottom line for investors is that there is still a lot of skepticism about calling a bottom, even with newly minted CEO Larry Culp coming in. And by the way, analysts are already taking a hard look at whether GE's dividend payment is actually safe with this new regime change. But that stuff that we just mentioned, Melissa, will be part of the GE's ultimate investment thesis in the coming months and years, something certainly to watch. Back over to you guys. All right, Dom, thanks. Dom Chu in the newsroom. For more on the future of GE, let us bring in Bob Nardelli. He's a former GE Power Systems CEO, former GE Transportation CEO, former Chrysler Chairman and CEO, former Home Depot Chairman and CEO. Sure, he's many other things too. Bob, uh, he's a friend of the show. That's what he is. Bob, welcome yeah. back. It's good to be back. Um, do you think the bottom's in? Do I think the bottom's in? Well, I think, listen, uh, 
I have a lot of respect for Larry Cope. I mean, he is a man of action. He's very accomplished. If you look at what he did at uh, Danaher, I think, uh, you know, a breath of fresh air. He's from outside. He'll respect the past, but he won't live in the past. And so I think Larry's going to move at blink speed. And that's one of the questions, one of the issues, you know, we talked about on the show a while back about John. Uh, he'd been there 30 years and the speed with which maybe the board felt he should be moving and wasn't. Do you think that the path that John Flannery laid out and was approved, by the way, by the board, which included Larry Culp at the time, do you think that is the right path? I mean, if Culp is going to operate at blink speed, is it enough, is it enough to operate at blink speed on the path that was already laid out by Flannery and presented to the board? No, I, I, think, that, uh, I think that what Larry did was concur with the plan, but obviously the plan didn't develop uh, the way it was laid out financially with speed and so forth. So I think, I think Larry's going to look at the dividend. We talked about that earlier, and I think, you know, it probably needs a good hard look. We talked about maybe not cutting it to zero because some investors are going to need to have a penny or two in dividend to stay, as you indicated. I think that, uh, you know, the Baker Hughes thing that's been talked about is one way to get cash. The latest forecast where Power Systems is continuing to drag on cash, you know, they still have over $30 billion pension liability. They've got over $120 billion in debt. Uh, if you look at, you know, uh, the impairment charge that this took, that was on the biggest acquisition in GE history. To turn around within a couple of years and have to take that kind of charge on GE Power, majority on GE Power Systems. France is still holding GE accountable for the labor that they committed. So I, I think, you know, Larry has a number of challenges yet. I know John inherited a bunch. Larry's inheriting a bunch, and he's going to have to move expeditiously, quickly, and try to right the ship. I mean, when you have that much change, what, in 125 years, we had five CEOs. We've had two in 14 months. Yeah. So it is very unsettling. And to that point, we've seen about 16 officers, vice chairmen, leave the company in the last 14 months. John Rice, Beth Comstock, yeah. Bornstein. I mean, it just goes on and on. So you're having a pretty significant brain drain while you're facing all these issues. And having run power systems, you know, let me just say that uh, the oxidation issue, you know, needs to be addressed. The, the turbine blades themselves are the highest tech metallography, metallurgy issue inside that turbine. So let me ask you, morale at GE is obviously, it's been a difficult place to be in the last uh, a while, a long time. Is, is Larry Cope enough to help turn things around there? Well, I think you're right. I mean, the majority of calls that I get are, what do you think about my pension? You know, people that have worked there 25, 30 years are concerned about their pension and the viability. I think uh, any organization needs stability, continuity of direction. So this change in 14 months doesn't help uh, steady the ship. Hopefully Larry will get in there. He'll be very direct. He'll be very candid, very deliberate in his decisions, consistent in decisions, not waffling back and forth, and that will help. I, I think it's not going to turn out overnight it's going to be show me, prove to me, right, that we've got good direction, that we can turn this thing around, even though we have a lot of challenges, both operationally and financially. Bob, you, you arguably had the second most important job at the company in your day there, in the glory years. And so it's a very different company, but what competitive advantage remains at this company? Investors kind of want to know, what, what is the jewel that's left here that we should be following? Yeah. Well, there's no question, you know, I was privileged to, to run Power Systems with a fabulous team. And uh, we went from worst to first while we were there. And we were doing about 300 turbines a year. 
uh, when I left uh, GE Power Systems. I think the thing one you got to look at for power systems is not only today's issues, but you got to look at backlog. How many turbines do they have on the books for 2019? That will really give you a tail of the tape. And you got to look at the number of long-term service contracts that they've got in place, because that was the fuel that kept them alive through the downturn, seven, eight, and nine. And both of those are starting to run off. So we got to be very thoughtful about looking at that business. But aircraft engine is solid business. As long as Boeing continues to do what they're doing, mm -hmm. they're going to help pull aircraft engine through. You know, GE Healthcare, pretty solid business as, as was reported. I think if you look at, uh, you know, John committed to sell $20 billion in assets. Well, he sold transportation, but no money until next year. The lighting business, they're trying to sell, still a question mark. Baker Hughes, got to make a decision. You know, we were, guys were talking about oil earlier, 75, you know, or better. Now's probably a good time to think about that. So I think Larry's a smart enough guy. He'll, he'll figure this out and, and really deliver a message and a plan that's executable going forward. What Danaher was and continues to be great at was acquiring and integrating. But I don't necessarily know if you can have that same playbook now at GE, given everything you just talked about. Yeah. Can he change playbooks, I guess is my question? So here's the thing. You know, George Sherman from GE was at Danaher previously. Larry took over from that. Larry and I worked together when I was at Case Construction Equipment. Solid guy, solid delivery. The issue here is not acquisition integration. You still got the Alstrom thing, but this is a solid industrial manufacturing guy. He knows what it takes to be lean. He knows about cycle times. He knows about reducing you know, from orders to delivery. So he's going to get in there and really understand these businesses that need some help. That wasn't particularly the case of the last two gentlemen. You know, Bob, looking at your resume, you know about um, <laughs> manufacturing. You know about the consumer and how to retail things through Home Depot. You know about cars. Would you ever consider being the chairman of Tesla? At Tesla? Well, I there's know that there's a job opening. <laughs> well, there is a job opening, but not all jobs are for every person. No, I, I think uh, I think they'll find somebody that can can work with uh, Mr. Musk uh, appropriately. I'm good. Do you, do you, are you not a believer in the in the Tesla vision in terms of electrifying vehicles no, or, or I, the company I, itself? I don't want to I don't want to uh, take my my <laughs> little flip and answer back that way. I mean, I think electric cars will happen. I don't know that they're going to happen at the rate and speed that are projected there. I think there's a transitional period where you're going to go with hybrid because there's still this range anxiety issue that consumers are facing. Mm -hmm. There's not enough recharging stations out there. So, you know, if you have short commute, you're probably okay. But when I get in a Tesla, most of the times I say, gee, it's a little warm. He says, well, don't turn that on because it drains my energy, right? So there's still some issues to overcome. Uh -huh. I think it's a fine car. Uh, they got to be able to produce them. They got to be able to deliver them. They got to be able to maintain them. And those things are yet to be worked out. Okay. We'll leave it there. Bob, thank you. Sure. Bob Nardelli. What do you think of GE? We did. What do we do when we go up there at that? What do they call it? The smart board? Fast pitch. It was a Venn diagram, oh, I believe. It, oh, no, yes. we did a more a you know. Oh, yes, the more you know. Yes. More you know. We, learned, we knew a lot more after Karen was up there. <laughs> more so than when I did it. <laughs> yes. Without question. My, my point, we talked anyway. about GE, and one of the things we said is they're still in very viable business. They seem to have addressed all their issues or are trying to address them. And you had a huge capitulation day in terms of volume about a week or so ago. Trade about 140 million shares, which is two and a half times normal volume. So at least from a trading perspective, 
I think you have something to shoot against on the downside. My issue is, and it was mentioned, pension liability, debt, and they still got to make some of these sales. And are they, everybody knows about what they need to sell. So does that mean they're in a position of power or not? And because of that, I actually own a lot of puts in this stock because I looked at it the day that they replaced the CEO and I said, you know what? This is not a fix, a quick fix. You this mean is Larry Culp? Yes. That, okay. I mean, that, that's that is something that's going to really, uh, it, it, he'll, he'll probably get it done. And it seems like we all have a lot of confidence that he will. But in what time frame? So in the shorter term, do you see the stock going higher or lower? I see it going That's lower because I, I don't like the cash flows. There's a lot. I love the businesses. Obviously, aviation's great. We all know that. That's fantastic. But that's always been a known. Healthcare, pretty daggone good. That's great, too. There's a lot of other pieces to this whole puzzle. And those pieces, the rest of them are like anchors pulling this stock down, I think. I still think it trades cheap, some of the parts, and, and the big part of that is what is the energy business worth? What is Baker Hughes worth? I mean, you can kind of track it in terms of market cap. And Baker Hughes, by the way, during this run has kind of gone sideways to down small. Uh, but I think it's interesting because I, I actually think that the negative volatility is out of the stock. I realize that there could be a balance sheet issue around the corner. But to me, I look at the ownership, and this is kind of in line with what Guy was saying. I actually don't see ownership. I don't see sponsorship of the stock. I think the shorts are out, um, which means they could pile in, too. But I actually think that that's good news for the stock. I think this stock has been orphaned by the people that could orphan it, including the big institutions. I think if they cut the dividend, that's good news for the stock as well. Yeah. I do. Hopefully that happens. We'll see. Well, the options market, speaking of dividend cuts, is implying a GE dividend cut and implying that it could happen sooner than you think. Let's get to Mike Cohen, San Francisco. Mike. Sure. Taking a look at the options, one of the things we're seeing is that there's at least a 50 percent probability that the dividend is going to be cut by September of 2019 and possibly earlier, given the fact that uh, we have Kaltman there now. And I think that some people are looking at that optimistically, and we saw that in the flows today. The November 13 calls were the most active. Over 20,000 of those traded for about 37 cents. So that's a way for people to make inexpensive bullish bets that maybe the worst of this uh, story is over now. All right, Mike, thanks. For more Options Action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, Wall Street legend Rick Edelman just made a huge bet on Bitcoin, joining the advisory board of Bitwise. So what has him so bold up on the crypto space? He will be here to explain. Plus, Pete here, stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch one industrial stock that just hit an all-time ah. high this week, the name when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in August, uh, Pete stepped up to the plate to pitch Caterpillar. The interesting part about this company is from a fundamental perspective, when you look at where they are right now, the fact that they trade at basically call it an 11 or a 12 P.E. on the forward side, I think that says a lot about how inexpensive they are versus the rest of the competition there. Well, that was a good call. Cat has rallied up more than 10% oh, by that. Yes, nice. it's the pitch. It's amazing. <laughs> what do you boy. do with the stock now? I'm holding it. I've added to it. I like it. I think this thing goes a lot higher. It's still very inexpensive. All right. Well, since Cat was such a home run, Pete, why don't you give us another fast pitch? All righty. We're going to stick in the same sort of world, but here we go with Honeywell. Now, David Cody, who was there forever and everybody loved him and he did a fantastic job, he's no longer there. But he was replaced by an insider who's been there for over a decade and really loves to work from the standpoint of organic growth. So that's something that I think is going to be very important. Really impressive guy. He's done an incredible job already early. He's already done a lot of the different things to try to reshape this company, I think, going forward. Very proactive CEO. 
I look at the buybacks. You talk about the fundamental story. Now, this trades at about a 20 PE presently. Sounds high, but when you look at the growth later, we'll find out that's not all that high. And actually, I think, I think it's probably right about where it probably should be. Might even be a little bit room to the upside, I think, for that to expand. These buybacks are strong, though. They've actually bought back almost 5% of their stock in the last six years or so. So when you look at that combination plus the dividend yield, this is a great-looking fundamental story as well. The impressive growth. Now, when you look at the cash flows, the cash flows have jumped 29% year over year. That's pretty impressive. I like when I see numbers like that. But also on top of the growth, how about the earnings? They were looking for about a 12% gain. They beat that. They were looking for revenue to grow by about 7% this last quarter. They beat that. So they've got growth. I think there's a lot of strength there. I think this is a company that's got plenty of room to the upside. How much? Is it a lot? Is it going to sprint up there? No. I think it moves a lot like cat where it can move to the next levels, and maybe you'll get about 10%. Might take, a, uh, I think, probably a couple of months. Pete, are you worried yep. at all about this recent Transnorm acquisition? Some people thought it was dilutive, et cetera, et cetera. If nothing else, you know, it may be distracting them from what has been phenomenal execution. Right. Uh, no, I'm not worried about that, Tim. I think that's part of what we're seeing here is we've got a new sheriff in town, and I think the new sheriff wants to show everybody what they want to do. And I think we're going to see some of these types of moves over time in terms of how GE reacts, Tim, whether they're selling off things or maybe the potential even someday of actually moving into other areas. But I think you've got to be proactive. This is not a market right now where you can just sit there as the CEO and say, you know what, this company's going to run itself. I think you've got to be very, very not reactive, but proactive. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Honeywell? Guy Adami, what well, do you say? Well, I mean, Melms, we've done this show together a long time, a as long you know. And time. I'm a huge, I'm, well, Honeywell is like, it's like music to my ears. Mm. So I say yes. And in terms of the new sheriff, you know what his name is, Mel? What? Reggie Hammond. <laughs> Y'all be cool. Uh, not Reggie Karen. Hammond. All right. Well, I'm not not surprising for me. I love Pete, but I'm going to pass oh. the honey. Well, too sweet for me, too expensive. Wow, I see what she's doing. But there. I do. I uh, yeah, too expensive. Sorry, Pete. No, that's but okay. Hey, Tim. Yeah, it's been tough to bet against these guys in the entire oh. sector. I'm a yes with Pete's alter ego. Thank you very much. <laughs> Two buys, one sell here on this desk. But are you at home buying Pete's pitch for Honeywell? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll have the results later on in the show. Plus, Wall Street veteran and one-time Bitcoin bear Rick Edelman just made a major move into the crypto space. So what made him flip the coin, so to speak? He will be here when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. GM rallying today after it said it would team up with Honda to make a self-driving car. Phil LeBeau's in Chicago with more on the story. Hey, Phil. Yeah, Melissa, this is a significant investment by Honda as it tries to jumpstart its efforts to develop autonomous drive vehicles. So here's the deal between Honda and GM. Honda will invest $2.75 billion in GM subsidiary Cruise, including $750 million immediately in order to take a 5.7% stake in Cruise. And together, Honda and General Motors and Cruise will develop and build an autonomous vehicle. Here is a teaser image that they released today of what that vehicle might ultimately look like. Hard to make much out of that image there. By the way, it'll be sold worldwide, though there has not been a target date for when we will see this vehicle. This is the start of a race between a number of automakers and tech companies, many of them partnering up to develop and put self-driving vehicles out on the road. Remember, you've got Waymo, which will start uh, having the public use of its Waymo self-driving minivans in a limited capacity in the Phoenix area by the end of this year. General Motors says its self-driving vehicles uh, developed by Cruise 
should be ready for use by the end of next year. And then in 2021, you've got Ford, you've got BMW uh, working with Intel, you've got a number of other uh, firms, uh, Toyota and Uber, who are working together, all looking to have some type of a vehicle out on the road, either being used by the public or being used by corporations, but out on the road in everyday use by 2021. For General Motors, the importance of this deal is that it now gives a valuation for its cruise subsidiary at $14.6 billion. That's an increase from just a couple of months ago when SoftBank made its investment in cruise. The valuation of cruise at that time was $11.5 billion. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Um, and Karen's been bullish on GM. I mean, this would have implications for GM's valuation if it, if it has 75% of crews, and that's right. worth, what, $15 billion or so. Right. It should. It should. Here's the yeah. thing. It should, right? I mean, we talk about being patient long-term investors. I have held this one round trip. I've done all the waiting for you. This is a substantial amount of money for the cruise division, right? So it comes out to almost $9 a share. Interestingly, when SoftBank made their investment, that shocks, the stock shot up to $44 a share. All right. So now cruise is valued even higher. The stock is significantly lower. Right. So one of the things that I always look for is, all right, what could make what could change things up? Could they take Cruz for a spin? Mm. Right. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. See that. So on the call, someone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. you are all over <laughs> yeah. it. Really, it's, it's like, like 10 seconds away here. It's weird. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that would be interesting. I think that could that could unlock some value. I don't know if that will happen in the near term. It won't happen, but it, it is potential out there. Uh, I think uh, it's something they should consider. Should start laughing. And now. the other What's thing, so I want to say, okay, we all know this stock is cheap. How how cheap is this stock? How cheap five is times it? next cheap? year. Yeah. So that cheap. out of the apparently there are 505 stocks in the S&P 500. I learned today. I had always thought there were 500. It is third from the bottom. Really. Third really? from the bottom. So it's not even in the top 500. It's right. 503. Wow. That is ridiculously cheap. Look, what's weighing on it is the trade war. That's part of it. The, their sales were down. But this, this multiple reflects a peak already in autos. It fully reflects that. I Meanwhile, GM's, you know, it's Global Motors, by the way. That's what GM stands for. Half their stuff is through JVs, especially in China. The trade war doesn't hit them the same way people are pricing this in. Um, this supports the thesis of their AV business. They may even have the lead in this. I think it's very You cheap. see what we're doing here? This is almost like a tag team fast pitch for GM. So how yeah. do you vote? Yeah. Listen, Dan Buying or selling. I'm so, I just got the <laughs> joke about selling. the cruise thing, number Taking one. Number two, spin. 500. <laughs> third to last on the list is like my college transcript, number two. <laughs> Number three, at least you have some. Listen, I've been a bear. I've been today. I'm a yeah. little more. Thirty-two and a half was a low back right in May of 2017. Traded there again. I think you have something to trade against. For more on the autos, be sure to head to tradingnation.cnbc.com. There's a great story up there right now. Still ahead, a Wall Street veteran, Rick Edelman, just went full crypto, joining the advisory board of Bitwise. What's making him now embrace Bitcoin? He'll be here in just a few minutes to explain. We're live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert for you. Moments ago, Bitwise, which created the world's first cryptocurrency index fund, announcing that legendary Wall Street advisor Rick Edelman has joined as an investor and advisor. Uh, well, we've got the legend himself, Rick Edelman, with us now from San Francisco, joined by Bob Pisani from the New York Stock Exchange. Bob, why don't you kick it off? 
Thanks very much, Melissa. Hello, Rick Edelman, old friend. Very interested to hear about your Bitcoin interest. We talked this morning. You told me every financial advisor needs to educate themselves about this space and should consider an allocation for clients. Rick, why are you bullish on Bitcoin and are you advising people to buy it right now? Well, I'm uh, bullish on it because Bitcoin is now 10 years old. It's a $200 billion market in crypto total. Bitcoin is about 40% of that. Clearly, it's here to stay. There's massive amount of investments going into the blockchain and crypto assets specifically. And financial advisors, I'm discovering, really don't know much about it, no more than their clients do, which means advisors can't effectively give advice to their clients that the clients need. Should I buy Bitcoin or other crypto assets? And if so, how much? How do I do it? Et cetera. And so my goal is to help raise the bar of awareness, education, understanding and knowledge so that advisors can be of greater value and help to their clients. Do you think this is really a separate asset class like stocks, bonds, commodities, that five years from now you'll be talking about an asset allocation of 5% in Bitcoin or crypto along those lines? Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the allocation will be, one to five. But yes, I do believe that crypto assets are an asset class. They are a store of value, just like gold and precious metals, just like oil and gas, just like natural resources and energy. Yes, it is an asset class. It is to here, here to stay. But most people today don't understand the blockchain. They don't understand crypto assets. They're still calling them cryptocurrencies, for example. And so we need to get people to be much more aware of this. And the problem is, Bob, that there's virtually no federal regulation at this point. So it's yeah. the Wild West. There's no easy yeah. way for investors to do it. We're not encouraging our clients to buy it yet because of the Wild West environment. There are a lot of frauds and scams. But the day right. will come, I'm convinced, when the SEC creates or allows a Bitcoin ETF. And that'll change everything. Now, you know as well as I do that the SEC has put up a very high barrier. They have made it clear they're not approving any Bitcoin ETFs until you right. get around principally the custody issue and about right. the fraud issues that are around there. Are you confident that these issues will be able to be overcome? We will eventually get a Bitcoin ETF. And you have any thoughts on when that might happen? Yeah, I applaud the SEC's efforts. Their job, first and foremost, is to protect the American investor. So they're raising the right issues and the bar is very high as it ought to be. But I'm convinced that the industry will meet the SEC's requirements and resolve the SEC's concerns. When that happens, you'll see a Bitcoin ETF. When is it going to happen? I don't know. It could be two months. It might be two years. We don't know. But I'm pretty confident that one day we're going to see it happen. And that means you need to be prepared now. Raise your level of knowledge and awareness. Understand this marketplace. It is an independent asset class that is not correlated to the stock or bond market. And determine if it, in fact, makes any sense to be an allocation in your portfolio and work with a financial advisor who knows what they're talking about. At Edelman Financial, we were just ranked the number one advisory firm in the nation by Barron's. We are recognizing the importance of this and stepping up our game for the benefit of our clients from a knowledge perspective. But Rick, just to, just to be clear on this, you're not actually telling any clients to have an allocation to Bitcoin at this point. I mean, why wait for, if you're bullish Bitcoin, as you say, why wait for the ETF? Why not just own Bitcoin or whatever other cryptocurrency on a platform like a Coinbase and hold it. I mean, what, what's, what's the difference? The, uh, and that's the frustrating element of it, because the SEC says that Bitcoin is not a security. And because we're registered with the SEC and we only, at least in our practice, use 40 Act products, 
products that are registered by the SEC under the Investment Company Act of 1940, we can't tell a client, go to Coinbase uh, or invest in a private fund such as Bitwise that I'm a big fan of. We don't have that ability in our particular financial planning practice, and therefore it's limitation for us. One of the right. reasons we're so frustrated. We'd love to see an ETF so that we would have the opportunity to be able to give our clients that, op that investment advice. All right. Uh, hope you'll keep us posted, Rick. Thanks. Rick Edelman and our sure own thing. Bob Bassani. Still ahead, final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. What's sweeter than honey? Tony Braxton's oh, Unbreak oh. My Heart, and that is what we are playing because it is a big loss, a big one for Pete's Honeywell pitch uh, on Twitter. Fantastic. Time for the final trade. Loser. Pete loser, is during what you say. There it is. I'm going to go with Caterpillar. It's not a loser. It's a winner. It's going higher. It's too cheap. Tim. Similar vein. We're getting ag stocks and commodity stocks breaking out mosaic. Karen. Happy birthday to my husband. Oh, hey. Find you a little G. Yeah, Lawrence. <laughs> happy birthday, Lawrence. Yeah. Lawrence. Yes, Apache comes out APA in the old days. APA. Happy birthday, yeah, Lawrence. See you back school. here tomorrow at 5 more fast. That money starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.